Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program again today and thank you again so much for joining us. I trust you're enjoying every week because we've been doing a series now for over nine weeks on the books of restoration from Ezra and Nehemiah in the midst of all of this confusion and chaos, I really felt like the Lord spoke to me that that Ezra and Nehemiah would be books that I needed to teach from because they are a roadmap to Reformation. I encourage you and I really implore you to go back, if you haven't seen some of these videos, to go back to YouTube where we have archived everything we have aired uh, in a playlist for you on this roadmap to Reformation from Ezra and Nehemiah, because I am building a case that I think uh, I, I think is a, a powerful view of what I believe God is saying to me. I believe God's interested in restoration. Now I know everybody's crying; the sky is falling right now, but I really believe in the midst of chaos, the Holy Spirit hovers and moves to bring about a rebuilding. And that's what he said to Nehemiah, arise, let us build. I believe God wants to build us up in our most holy faith. I believe God wants to build the church back up. I think that the probably the fact that we could be deemed as, uh, as if you will, uh, unnecessary, or uh, I, I, I'm trying to think of the term that they, uh, they, they call uh, businesses that are not uh, necessary right now, but the fact that the church could be deemed as being unnecessary uh, is, is, is a powerful indictment. I think that we must arise and become so indispensable that instead of shutting us down, they want us to open back up. And I think in order to do that, there's going to have to be a return to some things. Now what I began to share with you last week again was I started talking about how the prophet Daniel and the prophet Zechariah prophesied and they were prophesying to these um, house of Israel, to the, the, these Jews, as they were returning from Babylon to go back and to rebuild their city, to rebuild the walls, to rebuild their temple. And I showed you last week, I, I trust you watched it, it's very important what I shared last week, how that their, even their prophetic words, especially Daniel who prophesied 490 years are determined upon my people, what they did is they began to step out of the immediate situation and use that as a powerful picture to the greater fulfillment of a better temple and a better city. The book of Hebrews, which is a book of better things, and it's a book of how to transition from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, and I have an entire playlist on the book of Hebrews also on YouTube. But when, when you, it talks about a better blood, a better promise, a better priesthood, but it also talks about a better city and a better tabernacle and a better sacrifice and a better priesthood. That's the new covenant. And these prophets, although they're teaching and preaching to these Jews in captivity under Nebuchadnezzar, are looking to a greater fulfillment that would take place under the royal seat of David, which is Jesus, our Messiah. As a matter of fact, when, you know, even when Caiaphas says to Jesus, tell me, are you the son of God? Are you a king? And Jesus said, from henceforth, you will see 
talking to Caiaphas, he said, you will see the Son of Man. He uses the terminology that only Daniel and Ezekiel used to describe Jesus. I saw one like a Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven, and he came to the Ancient of Days, and he came near before him, and there was given to him a kingdom and dominion. When Jesus quotes that to Caiaphas, he, uh, you know, he, when he quotes that to Caiaphas, Caiaphas rends his clothes because he knows that Jesus is quoting a Daniel 7 passage, and he's calling himself that Son of Man who would come on the clouds of heaven not to get us, but coming on the clouds of heaven to appear before the Ancient of Days and to receive his coronation as King. I'm hesitant to recommend books uh, because I, 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 I don't like to do it because everybody wants me to recommend a book, but I read a book recently that I thought was so powerful. It's very scholarly work by uh, N.T. Wright, and uh, that book was called How God Became King. And if you read this book, you will realize that God is not going to become king. He's already king of the world through His death, burial, and resurrection. And the gospel of the kingdom throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is not about other world stuff. It's about how God has you how how God has become king and now has dominion through his death, burial, and resurrection, even has dominion over death. He is the ruler of all of the kings of the earth, and he is now seated at the right hand of God, uh, un, uh, 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 henceforth expecting until all of his enemies are made his footstool. But this greater fulfillment of this temple, this greater fulfillment of this city, I believe is one of the, the major themes that I want to share that I believe that God is doing in this hour. They came from Babylon in captivity, and if you read the book of Second Chronicles chapters 36, it talks about them being carried away into Babylon and they were carried along there. This is Second Chronicles chapter number thirty-six. It says, uh, "Let me let me just uh, uh, back up here and and read something." It says, verse fifteen. It says, "And the Lord God of their fathers sent warnings to them by messengers, rising up early and sending them, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God." They despised his words and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of God arose against his people till there was no remedy. Therefore he brought against them the king of the Chaldeans who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion on young man or virgin, on aged or weak. He gave them all into his hand and all the articles from the house of God, great and small, the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king of his leaders. All these he took to Babylon then they burned the house of God, broke down the wall of Jerusalem, burned all its palaces with fire, and destroyed all its precious possessions. And those who escaped from the sword he carried away to Babylon, where they became servants to him and his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbath, and as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill seventy years. If you watch my last segment, that's what Daniel was reading in Daniel chapter 9. He wanted to know how long this was going to take place, and God began to give Daniel the road map to tell you when this was going to occur. 
And so Daniel is in the kingdom of Babylon as one of the, he's been, he's, he's part of that captivity, but he's trying to figure out how long we're going to be here. And when he starts to read uh, from the prophet Jeremiah and counts the dates back until the land enjoys its Sabbath, uh, he begins to go back and, and, and realizes, hey, the 70 years is pretty much accomplished. And he realizes then, he, and then, he, then he, he, uh, he realizes that uh, this was fulfilled because, or Daniel gives a prophecy concerning that fulfillment. But then the latter part of this in verse 22 of Second Chronicles 36 says, now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing saying, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord God of heaven has given me and he has commanded me to, commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judea, who is among you of all of his people. May the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. Now he realizes because Cyrus was a Persian king who Daniel was still in the palace during this time and probably was the one who gave him the book of Isaiah where Isaiah prophesied that Cyrus, God called King Cyrus by name and said that Cyrus would rebuild his temple. I think this Persian king saw in the writings of the archives that this God of Israel had called him by name and rose up and said, hey, maybe I was ordained to do this thing. And he begins to give them commandment. Now, the thing I'm after is this. It was until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. Now, to me, well, I think one of the things that we must do in our roadmap back to Reformation is return to keeping Sabbath. Now before you get uh, 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 all worried that I'm going to talk about going back up under the law and keeping uh, Old Covenant uh, things, I want, us to look at, I want us to look at the book of Colossians and see exactly what the Sabbath is, because in the New Covenant the Sabbath is not a day of the week, it is a person. Uh, let, me, let me go on, let me just see if I can find it here in uh, Yes, here it is. It says, verse number 16, Let no one judge you in food or in drink or re in regarding a festival or of a new moon or of Sabbaths, which are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance is of Christ. In other words, the Sabbath is not a day of the week. The Sabbath is a person. It is rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. When we come into Hebrews the fourth chapter, see, see God was restoring, speaking, God was restoring of a greater exile. He was a restoration from a greater exile. They were exiled. See, one of the punishments for breaking covenant was exile into strange land. But see, God was wanting to bring the people back from exile, not just in a physical sense, but in people who've been uh, alienated from the life of God, exiled out of the presence of God, excommunicated, were about to be brought near by the blood of Jesus. And He was about to include all the nations of the earth in what He was about to do. He was going to finish the work on Calvary's tree and invite us back in into a Sabbath that would be perpetual, a rest that would be called rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4 said, let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us of entering into His rest 
And he goes on to talk about that they did not enter in under Joshua and Hebrews 4 because they didn't mix the word with faith. They didn't believe. And he tells us, listen, let's fear again. Let's not miss this Sabbath rest. There remains a rest for the people of God by simply entering in by faith into the finished work of Jesus Christ. And when we by faith access that, we return from exile, we come back into a promised land called Christ, we rest from our labors, which does not mean we become couch potatoes. It simply means we come back into trusting Him to do the work that only He can do. And even in the text of Hebrews 4, he says, labor to enter into that rest. Labor to enter. It almost feels like an oxymoron. I used to think, well, that means uh, if you work real hard and get the work finished, then you can enter into rest. But you don't get people to rest by preaching rest. You get them to rest, enter into rest, by, finish, by, by preaching how the work got finished. Jesus talks about that in John's Gospel. He says, when they ask Him, what must we do to work the works of God? And Jesus talks about only one work in the New Covenant. He said, this is the work of God, is that you believe on Him whom He has sent. The only work in the New Covenant is to believe on Him whom He has sent. And when you do, you start to believe it brings you into a rest where now you are trusting Him. You are trusting the Holy Spirit to do in you what only He can do of bringing you back out of exile and restoring and building you up as a holy habitation, as a city of God, as a tabernacle of God that the holy uh, presence of God can dwell in. And so there are some powerful patterns I just love the Old Testament because they are snapshots of redemption. Everything in this book is is powerful. God was so giving a road map to a greater reformation. I am excited to announce the release of my newest book titled The Great I Am. In this book we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. Every time he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought that the bread that fell in the wilderness was the true bread, but Jesus says to them, Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and are dead, but I am the true bread. They thought Moses and the law was the door to the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. As you read the pages of this book, you will truly discover the faith that replaces fear and that believing you will have life through His name. You will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. You will rediscover that He is the Great I Am. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today. Reformation in these patterns. There are so many types and shadows. that I, It is God literally giving us a language for how to say these things. And by the time Jesus comes on the, New Test, on the scene in the New Testament and says to them, you destroy this temple three days, I'll raise it back up. He's saying, you thought that was the temple. That's not the temple. My body's the temple. I'm the temple of God. 
destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it back up. He was talking about the temple of His body. In other words, God has moved out of that house and He's moved into this one. In the new covenant, once He raises from the dead, the apostle Paul grabs hold of that and quotes Ezekiel 37, where a lot of people think it's talking about a restored temple of God in the Middle East. It's not talking about one in the Middle East. It's talking about the house of God that we are because Paul quotes Ezekiel 37 when he talks about the wind breathing upon the slain and the dead bones arising and God restoring uh, the nations back and a royal seed of David coming and bringing an everlasting covenant. He, that, the everlasting covenant's the new covenant. That's not talking about something that's taking place in the Middle East someplace. I think if we could get this right, we might could stop some wars in the Middle East. Because the reality of it is we're fighting over a building and a piece of real estate, and God is no longer interested in, in buildings made with hands. He's interested in moving into a people who become the habitation of God. And Paul quotes that very text from Ezekiel 37. He said, what? Know you not that your body is the temple of the living God? And what agreement does the temple of God have to do with idols? In other words, present your body as a living sacrifice. In other words, don't put stuff in this temple. Don't profane this temple. Don't profane its vessels. And just present yourself because you are the temple of the living God and where God has moved into the neighborhood. That to me is the return from exile. That's the return to Sabbath. And even the fact that Daniel prophesied after reading the 70 years of Jeremiah, and the 70 years of Jeremiah were so that the land would enjoy its Sabbath, then Daniel prophesies the 490 year prophecy in Daniel chapter 9 where he says 70 weeks of years are upon my people are 70 times 7. And, uh, you know, I, there is so much I could say here. But that, that 70 times 7, the very first message Jesus preaches is He stands up and says, He sent me to declare the year of the favor of our God, which is the year of Jubilee. It was multiples of Sabbath, and Jesus closes the book and says, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears, because the Jubilee is not an event, it's a person, and He's standing right in front of you. I am the 70 times 7. You know, sometimes I think we get bored when we read the Gospel of Matthew. We start, you know, reading the genealogy of Christ, and we think, well, what's so important about that? But then it'll stop and say, you know what? There was 14 generations from this one to that one. There was 14 generations from this one to this one. There was 14 generations to this one to this one. And so there was, there was, there was six sevens, 14, 14, 14, would be six sevens. And then Jesus comes on the scene. He's the seven of seven. Everything about it is telling you Jesus is the Sabbath. The new covenant is on you. The new Jerusalem is on upon you. It is not a place. It is a people. We're going to just get into this and just unpack it and talk about it as we begin to progress. Because I'm telling you, if we don't get this, we're not even... The, the sad tragedy to me is that we have made the gospel about evacuation instead about occupation. Jesus didn't say evacuate. He said, occupy till I come. In other words, we are to take territories, have dominion, subdue. The matter of fact, as a reigning king in Daniel 7, you heard me quote it earlier, that when he stood before Caiaphas, he quotes Daniel chapter 7 when he says, you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. It was a direct quote from Daniel chapter 7, and Daniel, is, well, Daniel and Ezekiel are the only ones that will use the terminology Son of Man. But when Caiaphas says, are you the Son of God? He says, 
And from henceforth, talking to Caiaphas, you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory and sitting at the right hand of power. He didn't say he's coming to get you in the clouds of heaven. He's coming in the clouds. He appeared before the Ancient of Days, if you read Daniel chapter 7, and received the kingdom and the dominion was given to him that all the nations of the earth should serve and obey him. So Jesus is saying to Caiaphas, who knows the scripture, I'm the fulfillment of this passage. And while you all keep on waiting, this is the day of your visitation. Had you known what belongs to your peace, you would not have crucified the King of glory. He was offering to them this new covenant, and even the 490 is multiples of Jubilee, it is multiples of Sabbath, and God is returning, or He is trying to get them to return from Babylonian captivity, if you will, in type and shadow or in picture form, and to really rebuild what God is looking for. Of course, we know that what happened was the nation of Israel rejected their Messiah. They rejected their king. God allowed the Romans to do one more time what the Babylonians did, and that was to destroy their temple, leave it in ruins, because God said, listen, I'm not going to live in buildings. I'm moving into a people. And so as I start to look at those things, I start to realize that these uh, powerful pictures and imageries are what God is really, what God was doing in the first century and continues to do as He is building His city in the earth. In Revelation chapter 21, the city of God is not us going up to it. It is coming down from God out of heaven. And I submit to you that that city began to come down and is coming down from God out of heaven continually right now. It is built upon the foundations of apostles, and the foundation was the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And we are becoming a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hid. Uh, That's just so powerful to me. Now I I think what I'm going to do is in the next little bit, I want to talk a little bit about from the book of Revelation, probably a little late to get into this in this segment, but I'm going to start here and then come back and revisit it. But Revelation, the 17th chapter, begins to talk about a woman. It said, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying, Come and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication. And the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine for fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet-colored beast, which was full of the names of blasphemy. Having seven heads and ten horns, the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of of, uh, her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery Babylon, the mother of harlots and the abomination of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. Now I'm going to stop and talk about who this mystery harlot is. But let me just take you, uh, let me just grab this verse in this uh, segment because I want to start connecting dots here. Verse 6 said, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs, and when I saw her I marveled with great amazement. Now let me take you back to Matthew 23 
and show you some things that Jesus said but that, that, that really, to me, connects who this woman is. Matthew 23 is a book full of woes to scribes and Pharisees. And he says, woe to them, uh, hypocrites, you shut up the kingdom of heaven. Woe to you, blind guides, you say, uh, you know, whoever swears by the temple is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he's obliged to perform it. He calls them blind leaders of the blind that have both fallen into the ditch. He comes down, there's several places, woe uh, to them. Uh, and then he starts here in verse number 20, he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous, and say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would have not been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Watch that. We would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Therefore you are witnesses against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt. Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore indeed I send unto you prophets, wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your cities and synagogues and persecute from city to city, that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth from the blood of righteous uh, Zach, blood of, uh, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah. He even names these prophets who were in contemporaries with Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai, Zechariah. You murdered from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Assuredly, I say unto you, all these things will come upon this generation. And then Jesus begins to weep and tell you who this harlot city is that killed this harlot in Revelation 17, in her is found the blood of the prophets and those that were slain. And Jesus clearly points it to and says, listen, this mystery Babylon, this harlot, this adulterous woman is old covenant Israel. And then he weeps and said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to you. How oft I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chick under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left unto you desolate, for I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And I don't think it's a stretch to say when you read this in Revelation, the 17th chapter, that in her is found the blood. It says, look at this, it says, I saw the woman drunk with the, with the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and I saw her drunk, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. And he starts to tell them then who this mystery harlot is. So now we're just about to run out of time on this segment, but I want to just set the stage by telling you Ezra, Nehemiah are a departure from Babylon back to the land. We, I believe, are living in a day that there is an ongoing departure from Babylon back into the new covenant. We will show you probably in the next segment a tale of two cities, a tale of two women. One's a harlot, one's the bride. One's old covenant Israel, the other one's new covenant community of faith. And I want to show you that we are on a journey back to keeping Sabbath, which is ending in the finished work of Jesus Christ, and God's redemption is ours, and it has been for some time. Thank you for joining us. I want you to take a moment, if you would, 
and uh, help us to take this gospel around the world. It takes your faithful support to be able to do this, especially during this season. If you'd like to give, go to my website. It's the easiest way to do it. You can give via credit card or PayPal. Uh, that has a place there. You can even sign up for a monthly debit if you'd like to come be a monthly partner, or you can give a one-time gift, however you'd like to do it. You'll also call the number on the screen. Someone will take your call, or you can send your check or money order to the address that will come up on the screen. Thank you for your faithful support, and God bless you. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.